I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I always honestly think of birds as like very asexual because they just seem like they're too busy for that shit. Like they're just kind of like, I don't think about gender. I have shit to do. Um, But I'm trying, I mean, to me, most birds feel very lesbian. There's just like a utilitarianness to them that I really identify with. I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast with super immunity against heteronormativity and COVID. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali, and today we're diking out with Grace Bonnie about birding. Yes. Ugh, I've been excited because while I've been quarantining uh, upstate, once you know, there are just hawks everywhere uh, on my property and just looking at the birds and, and getting excited for this episode. I can't wait to get out there, maybe catch some birds. I did get COVID um, since we last recorded. I do need to clarify. I mean, in hindsight, absolutely wild of me to tout that I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> While sharing a hotel room with my positive girlfriend. But we both have friends who were around us when we were contagious that did not get it. Yeah, miraculously did not so get it. So you never know. We weren't so lucky. Um, so yeah, I have been locked in a hotel room for over a week now. Can't wait to get out there and catch some birds. <laughs> And it's, you know, I say that we have super immunity, but then I read that with the strain, you only have, what did I say it was? Like, 
you said something crazy. Like 20 or 30 like percent yeah, th- yeah. natural immunity. Burst my bubble. That I, I've been variant. absolutely clinging to that. That I at least will be very immune with my booster and my antibodies right. from this crazy, crazy virus. Uh, nope. <laughs> Apparently not. I mean, not. the booster... You're saying I could still, could get, still it? get it again. The I think the booster and antibody combo is a good thing. I mean, we're going to be... I'm getting my booster next week. We're going to be as immune as people can possibly be. So let's hope it's good yeah. enough. You know, let's all light a candle say a spell and hope that we have a COVID free 2022 because for me it's two years in a row of COVID and yeah, don't, don't want it again. Uh, announcements. We don't know if we're going to have a January show at Stonewall. It was going to be the last Monday of the month. Yeah. Which I think is like the last Mm -hmm. day. I think it's the 31st. So stay tuned for that. We're going to, we're going to see how the next uh, few weeks play out we're going to tentatively maybe book a lineup and but we're not going to sell tickets until we know that we've been able to uh, safely navigate this variant and have live events but i know of other um producers who have put a pause on events through january so we'll see we'll see the 31st yeah. feels far away anything can change i know this will come out we could be living in a different world when right. this drops. We are recording this on Christmas Eve. Yeah, there's going to be like the Zeta variant. <laughs> yeah. God. Uh. <laughs> Carolyn. What? Merry Christmas. What's the gayest thing of the week? Well, the gayest thing of the week, a couple of things, you know, I was hoping I would have uh, something gay because I've just been watching a lot of TV. Uh, But we did finally, once Cecilia and I were able to spend a day out of bed, we (laughs) decided to finally put our Christmas tree up, uh, you know, a few days before Christmas. Why not? And I remembered that I had purchased a Rosie O'Donnell ornament that they used to sell at Kmart and the proceeds went to her uh, for the kids uh, foundation. And I've had it sitting on my shelf. So I got to finally take the Rosie ornament out of the box and put it on my tree. And it felt so gay. And I was so happy to have that be like the last ornament uh, on my tree. And it's it's beautiful. It brings me so much joy. So that's probably the gayest thing. But honorable mention, speaking of TV, I did watch and just like that, but only episode three so that I could witness <laughs> Jay and so their jump in that discourse and their Netflix special taping. Their, their comedy concert, as Carrie calls it. Yeah, comedy concert. <laughs> They call it that again in the episode after. (laughs) Why are they standing? Why? Why are people smoking weed and standing at a Netflix taping? So many questions. So many questions. Why? Why is everybody there? A Gen Z super queer like look. And then it's and then it's the characters from. (laughs) <laughs> in Oscar De La Renta. Yeah. <laughs> why is Miranda's reaction as if someone just told her the meaning of life uh yeah orgasmic yeah just in, 
why why does the set end with Che yelling suck my dick and then doing a mic drop? Why? <laughs> what? Oh the God. mic drop. <laughs> Not enough people are talking why about are the they mic pacing drop. so fast and you Long. know, <laughs> it, this is nothing against the actor because I think they were given an impossible task. It's very hard if you don't do stand up and then you have to play a stand up and then have this very interesting, let's say, persona uh, that <laughs> is light on punchlines, but heavy on yelling. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like it feels like right-wing satire yeah like it's like a caricature of what they think queer non-binary comedians I, are like and, it's, and, and i'm very hesitant to criticize it because i feel like someone we know had to have consulted on that like somebody that we're probably good friends with may have written that and but <laughs> i i don't know I don't, I don't know. know. We're not the only ones who feel I know, this way. I know. And we get into it more on the Patreon yes, episode. Yes, good plug for our Patreon. Because, yeah, there is rant. more There's more to it of why this character is triggering for me. This, You'll learn yeah, about it yeah. on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. Melody, what's the gayest thing you did in quarantine? Well, I mean, my options were limited. <laughs> um, I... Was locked in a hotel room with my girlfriend. Allie actually just tested negative and was able to fly home and rescue our cat. Gayest thing for her, probably. Yeah. It's like, it's like, <laughs> Catherine O'Hara. I was just like, going to say, she's Catherine yeah, no, O'Hara really, trying been, to get back <laughs> no, to Kevin. This is how we have been acting. Trying to get back to Josie. She's on a van full McAllister. of <laughs> Yeah, polka polka. And they're on their way to Sheboygan and they're going to drop her off. Um, <laughs> that's how we've been acting that frantic about our poor cat who was supposed to be left alone with a cat sitter until Monday. Our cat sitter had to fly home eventually and got to visit him one more time on Tuesday and bounce. And it's now Friday. Josie has been alone since Tuesday. So Allie had to abandon me here in this hotel by the Austin airport on Christmas. For the cat. Because we love our cat that much. (laughs) What are we going to do? I mean, I guess we could have contacted our super. I don't know. It's all... (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Allie just bounced. <laughs> I'm by myself. We did watch a lot of TV together. Unfortunately, there's no Chromecast, so we had to rely on whatever was on live TV. And we did watch the Kennedy Center Honors live on CBS okay. the other night. Okay. And one of the honorees we love, Bette Midler. I mean, we love all of them. It was Bette Midler, Lauren Michaels, Joni Mitchell, Justino oh. Diaz. Okay. Okay. I found myself weeping while singing along to all of the tributes to Bette Midler. And they just kept cutting to Bette Midler. And she's wearing her honoree, like, sash. Like, do you know what they wear? Yes. Um, I've seen it. It's like a rainbow. So that's pretty gay. (laughs) And then... I went to Google. I was like, why is this a rainbow? Why are they? That's our thing. <laughs> um, turns out it's not, it has nothing to do 
with gay rights. Right. Go figure. Um, whoever designed this rainbow sash for the Kennedy honorees um, landed on the rainbow because of the spectrum of what they honor singing, dancing, and so on. Um, but it just felt really gay to just be like cuddled in all of our our COVID germs and weeping and sure. singing. Did you ever know that you're my hero? <laughs> oh my gosh. I that just reminded me because um Cecilia and I, another gay thing, uh, Cecilia had never seen The Preacher's Wife or uh, Whitney Houston's and Brandy's Cinderella, so we did a back-to-back watch, (gasps) uh, which was very gay, and that was probably, like, the highlight uh, for me of of quarantine was that back-to-back watch, because we know I love uh, Whitney Houston and Bernadette Peters. Um, I forgot (gasps) that she's in... The Cinderella, mm-hmm. I was telling Cecilia that Bernadette Peters f- replaced Bette Midler in Hello, Dolly on Broadway in the in the last run. So that's yes. how it all connects. Look at that. But, ugh, what a good watch. <sighs> so good. You know what's not the gayest thing? What? My nails are getting so long. <gasps> Do you see this? disgusting that happened to me when i was on vacation that i forgot the nail clippers and i was really struggling i was like i think i'm straight now i must be straight yeah i mean wow (laughs) i just am furious (laughs) should i just bite them off no they're just i don't know how to use my hands they've never been this long i know it's just obviously can't leave my room to get clippers (laughs) still very much in quarantine yes well I think that was a lot of gay stuff that we were able to to cobble together uh, while being sick with COVID. But even gayer, mm-hmm. maybe how into this conversation we were with our guest, oh because honestly, could have talked about it for two more hours uh, at least. I mean, we sort of <laughs> yeah. did. Like we ended the Zoom and continued yes. to talk. Such an enjoyable interview. Yes, today we are diking out with Grace Bonnie about birding. Grace is the creative mastermind behind Design Sponge, the website uh, empire that reached 2 million people daily for over a decade, became a best-selling book, and is already archived in the Library of Congress. She's the author of the New York Times bestselling ode to female entrepreneurs in the company of women. Most recently, she released Collective Wisdom Lessons, Inspiration, and Advice from Women Over 50, and is also married to a past guest of the pod. Who is it? You'll just have to listen to find out. Let's get into it. Grace, we are so excited to have you here and especially for your topic because we love a topic that is a little bit unexpected yet feels so gay and and this is one of them. I'm yeah. really happy my topic could provide that feeling. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I was thrilled. I, I mean, was thrilled. We don't know much about birding or bird watching. Birding, bird watching. Birding. What, is, what does the community right? prefer? I, I think both are, I would say birding is probably what people say. I will say I am very okay. much not a part of like the mainstream bird community, but I will happily bring you over to my side. Great. Yeah. We're hoping to be Love educated. It. All we know, it feels queer. Exactly. That's like what sticks out immediately. Yes. Otherwise, we're excited to be educated. <laughs> 
Well, before we get into that, we do need to ask, what is the gayest thing you did this week? You know, I think I have a good one. I, um, I'm in grad school right now to become a therapist and the process of like, basically digging through all your deep personal shit for class has like really made me reckon with my own gender. So I've been working with a like gender based therapy to like figure out how I identify and I'm like landing on non-binary now, but it is like so lovely to find oh, wow. queer therapists who like specialize purely in this. Like there are like gender doulas yeah. and people yes. who like work on helping you find a label and then maybe letting that label go, which was kind of my process of like, yes, I'm this, but this does this even matter? Like, is this really even a part of my identity that I care that much about? And it ended up that I didn't, but I had been working with those like very queer, very cool therapist for I think like four or five weeks now. And that has been awesome and very, very gay and lovely. And I highly recommend it. Yeah, I want that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, ever this since joining this podcast, <laughs> I've been on that same gender journey, gender spiral <laughs> over I, the know, last year. Thank you, TikTok. That is sort of like me and 10, exactly. 10 million other TikTok you know, people were kind of like, oh, hmm, my entire For You page is like trans and non-binary people. And I was like, oh, it's not a funny coincidence. That's so interesting. And then at a certain <laughs> point, I was like, oh. <laughs> um, That's so, how yeah. you know. What is the difference between a gender doula and like having a therapist who specializes in gender other than like educational background? Or I think you just nailed it. I think probably like okay, a licensure great. background of some Credentials, sort. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as somebody who's in the process of like pursuing a field that requires licensure, I also recognize how completely ridiculous licensure is and like how gatekeepy it is. So it's all kind yeah. of bullshit. And I feel like especially when you're dealing with gender I, I would rather speak with somebody who has lived that experience of figuring out what that means for them versus somebody who has right. a license. And like, like I've worked with my, uh, a different therapist for like over a decade and they're wonderful. And, but when it came to discussing this, there was just like a limit of terminology of understanding. And I really for had sure. to actively seek out somebody, um, and I thought there'd be like millions of people to choose from, but there really were not. Um, so it makes me feel good about yeah. going into the field being like, yeah, there actually are not that many of us, which is sad. That's incredible. And I'm sure like so many of our listeners, I mean, I, I know a lot of like my friends too, who are frustrated with their therapist because they have troubles finding ones who like understand their queerness, their identity and and those issues. and. Um, which uh, I don't know. I feel very fortunate because I feel like it's never been an issue with, with my therapist. I don't even know how my therapist, I know nothing about my therapist and <laughs> I've been seeing her for, for years, but like, it's just like the kind of therapy we do for some reason, like she's never made me feel like she doesn't understand mm. me because my sexuality or my experiences but then like everybody else I talk to tells me like these nightmare things that their therapists say or assume or suggest and I'm like oh my god it's <laughs> like there needs to be more resources for for the community because lord knows we need therapy <laughs> it is shockingly hard to find people like when I, I first came out um 
I was not doing great mentally and was not super stable. And so I like needed to find somebody quickly to speak with. And my ex recommended me to his therapist and his therapist was like very Freudian, like lay on a couch and be quiet. It was not my vibe. And he Mm -hmm. recommended me to his advisor. And he was like, she is the most professional therapist I've ever seen. She teaches every therapist. I went to her fancy apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And the first thing she said was, well, I don't know any gay people, so I don't know if I can help you. And I just oh. thought, well, hey, what a fucking lie. But also just like, how are you? <laughs> that violates every ethical code that exists. In Manhattan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I went through like three or four therapists before I found my therapist. Um, yeah, it's it's still hard in this year, uh, which I just, it bums me out. Like I live in the Hudson Valley now, which is a very gay area. And there's still like a yes. tiny handful of at least out therapists. There's a lot of like, queer affirming but i i never buy any of that like i just i don't i can't trust that term too much these days (laughs) (laughs) true yeah wow how do you mind me asking how long ago was it that that you came out i came out 11 years ago or sorry 10 years ago how old am i i'm 40 yes okay yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah man Sorry, my mind is like going into all these questions about everything. I'm like, no, we're here to talk about. Um, <laughs> we're also here to talk about collective wisdom. Oh, yeah. Coll- that yes. Too. There, lots of very gay parts of that book, which is very important to me. Truly. Yes. Yeah. So tell our listeners uh, about this, this book that you came out with. Beautiful hardcover. <laughs> I, ha- I know have it right here. Just beautiful. The. It's been the focal point of my coffee table since I got it. I love it. Everyone who's come over has picked it up immediately and thumbed through it. When I got it, I just opened it up right to Mabudez profile. And as an Iranian American, I was like, oh, it's fate. (laughs) Like just that was the one I opened right up to an Iranian American journalist and activist. And then I was hooked. I love also, it so much. Also queer. And it's gorgeous. Like it's, yeah. it really, that profile in particular really stayed with me. Mab is an incredible human being. Yeah. Um, yeah. Into it. You also have Roxanne Gay. Yeah, a lot of queer luminaries in this book. Yeah, that was really important to me. I, I set out to create this book, which is essentially a collection of profiles, um, 50 of which are maybe like 60 of them are individual profiles of women over the age of 50 who've lived fascinating lives. Some of those are very well-known people. Some of those are not. And then kind of peppered throughout are these stories of meaningful intergenerational friendships or mentorships that were inspired by a friendship I had with a friend of mine who was in her 90s. And I wanted to just remind people that I think one of the most like pernicious parts about ageism is just how it separates us from each other. And especially when you talk Mm. about queerness, like there's so little connection to elders and there's this, there is a a divide in some places, especially when you talk about gender and terminology. Um, That's why I'm so grateful for groups like Sage that really try to encourage younger and older queer people to get together. But I wanted to kind of put down in writing all of these people's very, very different stories and lessons they've learned and things they're still excited to do. Um, I was so happy to hear how many people said their like only regret was they wish they had like never married a man and they would never do that again. Um, but, I, <laughs> but it was like, it was a really meaningful experience. And the end result is a book that I hope will make people not only think twice about ageism and like 
what they're missing out on in their life by either judging themselves for getting older or not pursuing friendships with people who have just very different ages. Um, and just, I hope it will make people feel a little bit less alone, especially in regards to queerness. Like one of the profiles um, that stood out to me the most was with a iconic filmmaker, Joan Byron, otherwise known as J.E.B. And her story is about what do you do when, you know, you came out in an era where family no longer accepted you as a given uh, when you came out. And so there is no safety net for when you get older and retire. Like she was a part of a community where making a lot of money for that type of film work was not going to happen. So she has built with queer neighbors and queer family, essentially like a retirement plan. And it really made me look at aging as a queer person really differently because some of us won't have those structures in place. And what obligations do we have to queer elders to make sure that they have like a safe place to land? So I'm really glad that we could include those stories along with those that might be like a little bit more expected. Yeah. Also, 50% of the book's profits are going to be divided amongst the featured women in the book in perpetuity, which I love so much. I don't know if I've seen that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I was just really, yeah, that warmed my heart to see. Yeah, it was, I just did that. Well, I, I also divided after the cost of produ- producing the book, um, which actually ended up being less than I thought because I didn't get to travel because of the pandemic. Um, I divided yeah. up, I divided up the whole advance among all the women too. So I mailed out 113 wow. checks this week, which was so <laughs> fun. Um, I felt that was, that felt so great. Just it's, you know, it's not a ton of money, but everybody got like a little bit under $400 just to be a part of this. And I feel like it's really, really important that projects like this, because, you know, most of my work really tries to put inclusivity and equity at the center of things. But that rarely extends to the financial end of things. And people are like, oh, it's fine. If the author makes all the money, you wrote the book. But I edited this book. And these people shared very personal, very, I mean, incredibly vulnerable stories. So I hope that if the book does well, that means we are, as a community, benefiting from that sharing and not just me. Yes. Everybody buy this book. Yes, please. Do it's how, how did you even go about getting in touch with all these people? Mm. Find or like how do you decide who to include, who who not to include? Were there any people that you talked to that you're like maybe this doesn't fit with the book and name names? No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, but <laughs> you know the the choosing of people is my favorite part of any project I ever do that's group based because yeah I'm just a I'm a huge geek and so I keep like an Excel list at all times of just people I want to talk to and like I watched the Diana Naya documentary when she swam from Cuba to Florida and I was like amazing would love to dream interview one day um and so I had a list yeah. of people not based on age but then when I went through it I was like oh here's a chunk of people I'd like to start with so I would say like 25 or 30 people were just people I've had on a list of like would love to talk to them one day and then I reached out to people that were I think like important members of their communities um, to say like, who are the elders in your world that are important that you think need to be like documented and preserved in some way, like their stories, particularly like women in indigenous communities and trans communities where I felt like I didn't have even like a right to maybe enter those communities. So a lot of these interviews were actually conducted by women I hired from within kind of similar communities to say like, I can't speak to what your experience must have been. So I don't even know if I'm the right person to frame questions for you. So some interviews I did hire people to say like, you have more in common with this person and I want to make sure this is as respectful as possible. And then the interviews are always presented in their own words, because I don't want to push everybody's story through my like very white lens. Um, so that was super, super important to me. 
I did get a ton of no's for this book, which was like a really interesting process because this was not creative community based. So my background as like a design blogger, like had no weighing on anybody talking to me. They were like, who are you? What do you do? Like sponge? What? Right. And so almost everything was like a, a child or a grandchild or a friend of a friend who would slowly kind of introduce me to people. And then it is a pandemic. So talking to people about like, hey, let me ask you some really vulnerable questions about what you're afraid of um, during a, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a lot to ask. So a lot of people were just kind of like, yeah, no, it's not happening. Um, so it took me like the vast majority of the time to just secure names, which is almost always the fastest part of a project I do. So this was reverse and I did all the content really, really quickly, but spent a ton of time just trying to getting to get to know people so they felt comfortable enough to share with me, which was not easy. Was there an interview that surprised you the most? A lot. I mean, I was surprised to see how many people, like I, I very naively, and I'm like not super proud to admit this, like went into this being like, great, what's the magic age where I just stop giving a fuck? Like, please tell me that age so I can put it on my calendar and just <laughs> count down. And, you know, then I spoke to women in their 90s who were like, nope, I still think about how people perceive my body, my weight, my worth. Um, and I think those things get, slightly easier, but I think they just evolve in, into different versions of that concern. And so I initially was kind of like, oh, is this book too sad? Like, is it too real? <laughs> and <laughs> Leah, who runs the publisher that I work with, she was like, no, I think this is really important that we talk about things openly. And so it's part of the reason I wanted to ask people about either the decision to or the experience of not parenting or not parenting in the way we imagine that of like small human beings. Um, so I like to talk to people about like, what are other ways you've parented? Um, or if you really hate the idea of parenting anything, what what has that meant for your life? And so I really wanted to make sure that there were interviews that approached all of the different ways there are to age and just live. Because I think especially stories with women, everything focuses on kids and mothering and all of that. And I think that's important yeah. to include. But I also think it's important to talk about alternative forms of mothering, whether that's you know, animals or friends or young people who are a part of a school system you work in, like all of those different ways of like parenting, I think are important to talk about. So there were a lot of stories that touched on alternative parenting. And that, that was really important to me because as a queer person who doesn't have human children, I just, <laughs> I feel, I feel a little left out in dialogues about like adulthood sometimes because my life doesn't revolve around raising tiny humans. So it's yeah. just, it's important to hear those alternatives. I love it. I love it. We're so glad that you did this. It's it's such a cool thing. And again, uh, it's called Collective Wisdom. And we hope that everybody purchases it. But again, we're we're not here just to talk about that yes. today. Speaking of non-humans, yes. uh, we're here to talk about birds. <laughs> I parent birds. That is my job. Yes. I was going to ask, um, do you have a bird pet? No. Or do you just watch them? I don't believe in keeping birds as pets. Um, yeah, I agree with you there. Same. And I, I feel like people who have birds might be feeling a little bit defensive about it, but there's something about it that makes me feel so sad. I mean, I, I know. To see I think a caged bird. If someone is really caring for any type of animal and that animal 
seems fine with that. Like, I'm sure there's an exception to everything, but the more I get involved in bird communities that have to do with rescue, like a particular wild animal rescue, I just realize how many people are like, just keep your hands off them. Don't talk to them. Set them up to live in the wild. It's the best thing you can do. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of where I'm coming from. I do have a friend who rescues birds. Cool. This is a queer or like, like uh no no it's actually a, a comedian oh, but she has like whoa. a rescue bird yeah well I just that. ask because every person I know who is either into birds bird watching bird anything is queer just by coincidence <laughs> mostly lesbians um yeah which I love and I'm excited to delve into why <laughs> the the famed um Famed for unfortunate reasons, the Central Park birder. Uh, what was his name? He was oh, Christian. He was yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and and like an amazing comic book writer as well. Like, I, I yes. think birders tend to be just incredibly geeky people, but in the best way yeah. possible. Like, they get yeah. really passionate about interesting things that may not have a huge audience attached to them, and so they're doing them like out of pure love. And oh, that's yeah, that's hard to find in today's culture where everything gets turned into like a for profit project and i just like birding because most people i know who are at least just into birds it's none of that's been turned into a product it's just kind of like a thing you do for fun and i miss that like i guess it's a hobby um which is just rare these days that we don't turn that into like a side hustle or something which is right it's not my jam so tell us your your birding origin story. How long ago did you get into it and how did it happen? Sure. So I got into birding, I think like a lot of people at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I got, I was starting to work on collective wisdom in January of 2020, traveled a little bit. It felt like a lot. Um, And then it was starting to get day C and we were like, should we still be flying? Is this, is this not okay? And then I got really sick and I don't think it was COVID. I think I just caught something else, but I was super sick for a couple of weeks and kind of stuck in my room and I was just watching birds outside of the window and it made me really calm. And I, I just like to research things because that's how my brain works. So I started figuring out like, oh, what type of bird is that? I've never seen that bird. And there's a phrase in birding called a spark bird, which is like the bird that sparks your your interest in something. And we had a family oh. of um, Eastern Phoebes, which are very sweet little gray birds and they started to build nests on top of the blades of our outdoor fan which i i guess is a thing but i didn't know and so i'm just watching this fan yes. make circles and they're just continuously building a mud-based nest on the top of that so we watched for you know weeks as they laid eggs and defended that because it was just not a very well-placed nest because there's a billion of like very aggressive <laughs> crows and blue jays in our yard um the we watched them have two two different clutches, which is what you call like sets of eggs and none of them made it. And it was a super emotional thing about like, wow, nature's just really sad sometimes, but (laughs) but it hooked me. And then I started like, I bought a book of like birds in New York. And then I downloaded like the New York DEC checklist of like every bird you could possibly see in New York. And I just started like keeping a list of them. And then that turned into like, 25 bird feeders later that's all I I do anymore in my day you know and then I got like a giant bird tattoo and I just like it's become like a huge part of my identity in a way that I it sounds silly but it actually like it means a lot to me I really I really appreciate what like birding has brought into my life it's like a a level of presentness that I just did not have and I you can't do anything else if you're like if you have binoculars like if you're not paying close attention, you lose them immediately. So you have you can't have like a phone open to like TikTok at the same time. So it's really yeah, helped me right. pay attention. I love that. 
Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I I feel like when you move to a place that's like a little bit more rural, like my mom, when... um, she moved from like the the home we grew up in outside Buffalo to a rural place like 45 minutes south of Atlanta. Um, she got really into birds and then started having like all the bird feeders and was like really excited about it. And she has like these like bird books. And like I got her like a bird call for <laughs> again, <laughs> like like my mom does geek out on birds. And, um, and then my wife and I, during the pandemic, we moved upstate and um borrowed one of my mom's bird books because we were seeing so many birds and wanted to identify what they were so then i put one bird feeder up but the problem was i put it up outside of like this room i'm in where i podcast and then it'd just be like all this bird noise and i'm like i can't it's like too much bird noise for the podcast it grows quickly yeah, the spark bird for me was actually, I think, having like a woodpecker on our property, like this gorgeous woodpecker. And I became obsessed. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love having these birds around. We also have like bald eagles that fly mm-hmm. by. Like, yeah, yeah, very into it. I was really into hawks. And I even was wondering if that counted yes. <laughs> um, as a kid. I was weirdly obsessed and I had binoculars and I would sit on my deck um, and we had there had to have been a nest close by because there was what felt like an unusual amount of hawk sightings that got me really into it. Um, But no one really talks about the big birds, you know, when we talk about bird watching. 
Well, A, you're already way cooler than all of us because hawks are just the best. And it's interesting. (laughs) There have actually been a number of pieces, especially written since 2020 and this kind of like racial reckoning moment happening. There was this whole movement on Instagram called Black and Birding. And it's like a hashtag you can go back and watch. And a lot of people spoke about like the racism that's inherent in birding. And I mean that as applied to birds because Black oh. black birds are like universally hated. Like everyone hates crows <gasps> and everyone hates ravens and they call them like yeah. nuisance birds and they don't like the bigger, darker birds of prey, like certain types of hawks because they find them like mean and they, you know, they kill the pretty tiny little songbirds. And once I kind of mm-hmm. learned about that, it like blew my mind. I was like, oh, they hate, you know, vulture. Nobody likes vultures. And all of these black birders were like, I don't think it's a coincidence that like all of the birds no. you all like are like <laughs> these pretty little tiny song things. And then all of the larger black birds and it's nobody, nobody likes and they like disparagingly refer to them as just like problem birds and like rehabbers won't take them. They're just like, ugh, nuisance birds. And so I've really like switched my focus over to birds of prey. And we have so many hawks in the Hudson Valley that that's been awesome. And now I've gotten really into vultures because they're like, nature's trash compactors and it's so yeah cool. turkey They're vultures so cool. are insane the fact that vultures can like dissolve bones and stuff in their stomach i'm like that's just the coolest most goth shit ever i love it they're just like that body <laughs> i will dissolve it within my own body and so i i love it i just think that it's the coolest yeah, I don't have any tattoos. I always thought if I did get one, it would be of a hawk <laughs> to like honor <laughs> that inner childhood dork. But you had mentioned Instagram, and I was wondering if you had seen this Instagram account I got into over lockdown. It's called Fem Birds. No, um, I've not seen that. <laughs> it's like attributes this queerness and queer feminist to birds. They got a little inactive over the last year, <laughs> but um, I did appreciate how they had um, a lot of black birds on there too um just as represented as those little flamboyant femme birds it was just the funniest account and it like attributed political ideologies to these birds too especially during the um uprisings june 2020 like these were (laughs) like protesting birds um so yeah, one of my favorite Instagram accounts. I need them to be more active. I miss it so this much. This is okay. Highlight of my day talking to you all. <laughs> loading Fembirds to find it says follow back, and I'm like, score! I have oh, found my yes. Yeah. I mean, look at this. They're You're doing something right. They're identifying what I believe is some sort of pigeon as a queer elder, which I just think yes. is yes, amazing. I love it so oh, much. thank you for bringing this into my life. Oh, of course. I would love to think of all pigeons as queer elders. <laughs> yeah, they are. I mean, pi- everyone hates pigeons, but they're they're so beautiful. Like there are very few birds I don't like. Like my neighbor's always like, why are you getting the blue jays here? They're going to kill everything. And I was like, everything kills everything. This is what nature is like. Just get used to it. It's going to happen. It'll right. be fine. The little birds will be fine. <laughs> We heard you're in a feminist bird watching group. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm not actually yet. So I, they, oh, anna- someone lied to us. Oh yeah. No, well, it was going to happen. The, fe- the feminist bird club, which I believe was originally started in New York city opened, like they said, anyone could make chapters like file, file to make chapters. So I immediately was like, I'm on it. And I filed the chapter thing. They told us that like a million people filed, wanted to file a chapter in Hudson Valley. So they would get back to us queue like months later and we're all like is that still happening i don't know so i think some of us who applied might just kind of make our own little non 
named offshoot just to kind of go on our own. Um, Because I I love the mission. I mean, you don't have to be queer to do it, but it's still a predominantly queer group with like accessibility at the front. And I I think that's super important because we don't talk about accessibility and birding enough and how most places that people go to watch are just not super accessible for everybody. So I like I like that idea. I think we're we're getting into weather that's going to be tough, at least where I live. But I think next spring, that's going to be a big part of my life. Nice. Nerds. I didn't realize, too, <laughs> how um, how big birding was in uh, Central Park until I had, like, family visit. And they're like, we're going to Central Park to look at the birds. And I'm like, what? Like, it, isn't it just, like, pigeons and stuff? And they're like, are you kidding? No. It's, like, no. And, like, I, I, I was surprised because, yeah, in New York, mostly you're seeing pigeons. And then I think... um. I briefly worked at NYU and there was like, a, I want to say like a red tail mm-hmm. hawk or something that Tons had nested and they had, yeah. and they had a camera on yeah. it. And on my computer at work, I just had that camera up in the corner at all times so that I knew when it was, because it, it was like the only nice thing about my job was the <laughs> access to that camera. Uh <laughs> I think during the pandemic, there was a guy who kind of went viral who lived somewhere, I want to say like in Hell's Kitchen, maybe, and on his like, you know, metal terrace that was right over Broadway or Sixth Avenue or something like super busy, a red tail hawk like set up, used his whole entire, uh, you know, the fire escape to make a nest. And there's tons of hawks. There used to be one in McCarran Park that I would see all the time in Brooklyn. There's, I think, like more migratory species come through Central Park than than do where I live. So I feel like I wish I had gotten into this when I lived in the... I I probably would have been too lazy when I lived in the city to like get up early and go to Central Park. It would not have happened. But (laughs) in theory, I wish I had done that. Do you have any way, um, I mean, I know you said that you have like a list that you check off, but do you um, document the birds in other ways? Like a birder I know likes to draw the birds. Hmm. They'll they'll take like photos and draw it and have like a collection of. I love that. Well, I've now become the person that everybody gives bird gifts to. So like I now have like, <laughs> you know, a mug. It's a slippery slope. A mug. Or yeah, I mean, I, that used to be cats. Whatever. It's fine. I don't care. It's fine. Um, so I have like a million different like bird t-shirts, bird sweatshirts, bird whatever. I've officially like migrated into becoming like an 11 year old boy. And I'm I'm kind of okay with that. Like I went to my, my only like pandemic trip at all was I drove myself um into Manhattan one day because I ha- I got frozen shoulder during the pandemic, which is talk about aging is like a real felt like a very old moment. Um, and I had to go in to get like a cortisone shot in my arm. And I was like, if I have to go into the city, I'm going to do something fun. So I went to like the very ancient bird section of the Museum of Natural History. And it was like me with a camera taking selfies with like condors, <laughs> sending them to people. And then I looked over and it's just me and like a sea of like nine to 11 year old boys with like dinosaur, dinosaur <laughs> shorts on. And I was like, these are my people. This is this is kind of what it's become. Um, but it's lovely. So I keep a list of, of birds that I see. Um, but I, that's now migrated into like a list of bird tattoos of like, no, 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 this is the next one. No, 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 this is the next one. And like every time I discover something that I like bond with, it just moves to like the top of the list. And the person who gave me the bigger bird tattoo that I got, we've now become friends and we both really like birds. So I think we're kind of like swapping bird ideas all the time now. 
I'm assuming. Do you have an Excel sheet for birds? <laughs> just a just a like phone. What you, you want to meet? App. Yeah. There's oh, okay. no no current like apologies on my notes app, but just lots of like birds. I would like to like, you know, do something with. You're doing life right, then. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Mazel. I mean, speaking of birds and dinosaurs, is that a weird thing to bring up? Isn't there people they're, who they're birds? That bird? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like raptors had feathers right mm-hmm. um or there's evidence that raptors had feathers and probably like looked closer to chickens yeah well i then i mean this is i'm using tiktok as a primary source which is ridiculous but i was watching right. something and it was like a geologist or someone who works with like paleo stuff who was like we're just making up this feather thing like we don't actually have proof of like dinosaurs having this this is like a real okay. stretch so it kind of blew my yeah. mind and then i was also like of course, we don't know any of these things. Like we're we're making our best guesses, right. and it is what it is. And I hope they all come back one day. But um, yeah, I don't know. I love dinosaurs too, so it's totally fine. I'm just regressing back into like a middle schooler. Well, also like uh, I I remember I was on uh, Vancouver Island, and there were all these signs for this like um raptor place, and I didn't know like that's so the cool. term. I, I was like raptors, but it was like birds of prey mm-hmm. and it was a, a rescue and stuff and got to go um and see all of these like gigantic birds uh they were like amazingly huge and and pretty scary like i i went to alaska yeah. by myself after i closed my business a few years ago and i missed the rat the alaska raptor center by like a week because everything closes there like in <sighs> september and i was super sad right. and then when i turned 40 this year my parents who live in virginia were like we're gonna come up and like what we've done for your birthday is a surprise. And I was like, okay. And they got here. My mom was like, all right, get in the car. Like we, we have to go to a place. And then she eventually told me what it was. And it was a, what they call a hawk walk, which I think ethically now I've realized is kind of questionable, but I did not know at the time. And it's a, a family that essentially raises all of these like incredibly rare raptors, owls, like any bird of prey, which like driving to like Goshen, New York to go see a like very fancy house full of like 200 rare birds. I was like, we got there. It's in Goshen. Yeah. Yeah. Near you. I I live, I live uh, like 10 minutes from Goshen. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Wait, it's if you Google Hawk Walk and Goshen, you'll find it. It's a very fancy house. And I guess they make money because they raise them. I'm coming up for that and sell them. Yeah, but it was, it was like seeing all of them was kind of sad. Like I was like, oh, do they just live in cages all the time? Which I think is the truth. Um, But the walk part of Mm. it was they bring, I think it was a harrier, a Northern harrier. And we'd like go out to this field that they own and they just let it off and it flies. It like got its own stuff. And then they gave all of us like tiny baby little chick legs to hold. And then you put your arm out and it'll just fly and land on your arm. So ethics aside, very cool i did that too at the other raptor thing yeah i did a it was like falcons landing like the big glove and everything and is it not terrifying (sighs) yes a bird fly and the wings are like you're just i've always (laughs) wanted to do that i don't know if it was the royal tenenbaums or what that yes (laughs) that is i think that's the gateway into falconry for for our generation was the royal tenenbaums oh yeah it's i mean it's a very ethically questionable act, but I think it's it's really right. be- they're beautiful, beautiful birds. And I got to hold on opposite ends of the spectrum a great horned owl, which is like 
massive, very <gasps> heavy. And you can't, wow. you have to hold your arm out perfectly still because they weigh. It's like putting a cat on just like your wrist and trying to hold it like that. But I just kept being like, it could literally poke my eye out. Like it could, it just, everything is so sharp. And if I've been stuck in a yes. cage all day, I'm pretty sure I would want to like attack something too. Um, but then yeah. we got yeah. to hold a screech owl, which is like, this big and it looks like a Jim Henson character and it has eyes that yes, like operate yes, yes. independently. I mean, so it was it was awesome. I felt very seen. I was like, I'm 40 and I'm having a child's <laughs> birthday party. This is amazing. No, it's so fascinating. I mean, there's so much in the bird world to like dig into. And I think the fact that you can see, I mean, if you think of like, what are the animals you you see around where you live it's like okay mm -hmm. deer possum raccoons rabbits but like bird it's like so many different species like so different visually um and then like how they sound too mm -hmm. you know um yeah we're big like every time we hear a new sound we're like Where's that coming from? Which bird? Get the binoculars. <laughs> I, I love that. That was a, like for last year for the holidays. I was like, I don't want anything. And my parents were like, no, like we believe in presence. This is the thing we have to do. And I was like, I just want courses then at Cornell offers like all of these like bird identification courses. So I took like birding, yes. birding by ear and, you know, like learn to identify them based on calls and these things called stereographs, which are like a visual representation of sound. And then I downloaded mm. all these apps that do that. And so I would just like stand by our window, like hold my phone and try to figure out what it was. And it's just become such a nice way to just, I don't know, like just pay closer attention to really small things around me. And it, in a time where everything is scary, it just, I don't know, it makes me a lot calmer. And it is just like kind of a, yeah. a weird thing to be into. And so I like that it's not a group of people where there's like, at least to me, I haven't noticed any sense of like, oh, these are the cool birders and these are the it people. Like, there's none of that, at least <laughs> yeah. that I've stumbled into. Maybe the one community where there's not like high school politics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure like at the level of like the Audubon Society or something, I'm sure there's some yeah. sort of political thing. And the right. Audubon Society is actually a floor down from my publisher in New York. And I always just want to like get off on one different floor and walk in. Um, I think like, you know, yeah. race, like racism is a huge issue in the birding world and like outside of what I talked about with the actual birds. Um, so I think like it's not a community that's immune from you know, the same issues that every other community in the U.S. has and, and the world, really. But sure. But I think in general, like, I've never met any birder that was like, oh, you don't have the right equipment or you don't like there's none of that. Everything's just kind of like, cool. Do you need some help? Do you want to go do this? Like the age gap is yeah. huge and no one has a problem with it. I don't I've never like had anybody say you're too young to do this or they're too old to go birding with like none of that. It, it does sound like it's very good for mental health. I, I cannot stress how important that is. Like when I first, yeah. when I decided to go to back, back to grad school for therapy, we were like joking about whether or not I would go into private practice or go work for an agency. And my wife, Julia was like, please, like when you graduate and your license, please let us like build you a private studio that looks like a birdhouse that's like in the back of our property. And you can just like in integrate birding into this. And it was a joke, but it's actually kind of become not the office as birdhouse thing but I had to like build a mock website as part of our work this year at school and you had to like define yourself and what you believe in and what your practices are and I was like no I really I really want to integrate birding like into what I do because I just don't think 
a lot of people know how to be present. And I think meditation is like the only thing that gets pushed for that is like meditate, meditate, meditate. Right. And it's just, it's really hard if you have a lot of anxiety like I do. And I just feel like yeah. this birding worked for me. Like it was a, a thing where I was like, oh, something's moving. I'm paying attention. It feels active, but I'm actually not even realizing that every other part of my brain is kind of turning off. And I don't know. I think it's yeah. a, a really nice thing to like work into mental health stuff. Yeah, man, for sure. I, Melody, you need to come visit. Uh, like since, yeah. since we moved upstate, my wife, she has a lot of um, PTSD and living in New York. It, it was just very, very triggering. So between that and the pandemic, and so we moved upstate and the difference is is night and day honestly like i noticed that her being able to just like look at birds and animals in our yard and and even for me sometimes like i have a really hard time relaxing and i know i talk about this too much but i don't care i love um chopping wood i love splitting logs yeah. and like cleaning the bark off log like there's nothing for me that's better than meditating mm -hmm. like if if i'm just stripping bark off a log and then trying to chop it my mind is at peace <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And and that does I feel it doesn't get talked about enough. <laughs> I think small tasks are like remarkably healing. And I think a lot yes. of a lot of the methodology that gets pushed for presentness and anxiety and that sort of stuff, I'm so glad that it does work for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for everybody. Sure. And I'm just a big fan of like not making things that are good for your mental health seem as if they are something new you have to learn. Like I think some of the things we yeah. do every day qualify as that. And, you know, they, maybe they end up becoming a fun hobby and a part of your life, or maybe they're just a temporary part. But like, like we, I've gotten so into the birds now that I've gone through like four phases of feeders where I'm like, oh no, no, what was I thinking? Rookie feeders have to donate these, like move <laughs> on to a new set. And I now have so much stuff, but we also have bears. So I have to be super mindful of when I put feeders out or if I even do, and I haven't had them out for a long time, but I just brought them back. And Julia was like, we need to get you like a container for these. So we were like researching bear proof containers and those cost like $5,000. So that's not happening. But we were, oh, at, we were at um Lowe's like in the like heavy duty toolboxy section. And I was just like, this is so gay right now. And I'm really happy. Like <laughs> We're like going through all these like intense, you know, like that really heavy cladded, like iron stuff that you people are using for like heavy mechanics, like storage. And I was like, no, no, it's just for bird feeders. Like I just want something that's going to be like tough enough that if at least a bear tries to get into it, it will like take them a while to do it. Um, so now I have like a very intense, like queer storage kit for all of my um, bird stuff. So I have to bring it in every night. Otherwise we'll, we'll get a lot of bears. <laughs> Is that task meditative too? I don't know. All this talk <laughs> of like the task feels very like Mr. Miyagi esque, yeah. um, like yeah. wax on, wax off. I gotta get out of my apartment and do something. It's, but I mean, you can also. I'm a huge fan of like these clear suction cup feeders that go that attach to your windows. And so, if you live in an apartment, it's a good way to like just lift up your window, smack it on the outside, and then you can just feed it by hand, basically. And you get to watch them up close. And that's how I started. And that's how I got to identify them. And then I quickly realized like, oh, if you put bird feed right against your house, you will drastically increase the rodent population <laughs> in your house. So I had to <laughs> move everything way, way down the yard. Um, and now like yeah. Julia built me all these like 
I had a whole moment this summer where I bought trail cameras and I went through like five eras of trail cameras and then Julia built platforms for them so I could like take photographs and video of the birds because that's that that is who I am these days. But it was super fun. And I shared it on Instagram almost every day. And I would like attach the bird sound to it so people could like meet the bird and see them doing stuff and then hear what their call sounds like. And so many people were like, I'm so stressed out right now. And I'm scared of getting sick and everything's terrifying. But I love just like stopping for five minutes and listening to birds that like I don't have in my area. And this was super cool. So I just think there's a lot of a lot of benefit there. Your home must just, I don't know, it feels very ideal. You've got Julia <laughs> Tertian, friend of the past pod, guest, past guest yes. cooking, baking, and then you with the birds. And it just, uh, it feels nice to even think about. <laughs> queer utopia. <laughs> yeah, honestly. queer utopia. Honestly, yeah. It's pretty it. nice. I can't, I really can't complain. Like our lives are in no way perfect, but it's that part. Like we're both very good at nesting, pardon the pun, but like we really, we're very, yeah. we're very good at like settling and taking care of other living things. So like we have very pampered household pets. And then every morning I have a routine of like outdoor pets, here we go. And it's, I, I'm a big fan of like routine and ritual. Like that's part of how I kind of keep my anxiety at bay. And if I break that ritual, the whole day feels ruined to me. So my whole act of like getting up, take the dogs outside while they're out, I like put up all my feeders and then I distribute some of it by hand. And then I take suet and put it on the trees for like the tree birds. And it's a whole thing. And now I've set it up outside of, we got a kitten um, in the middle of this year and he's obsessed with the windows. So I set everything up in front of the windows now so he can just like watch cat TV basically. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. I feel bad for my cat in Chicago. There was just more trees and birds and squirrels outside of the window for my cat to watch. And now he doesn't care about windows at all. There's (gasps) nothing. It's just concrete outside of the window. Not a tree in sight. Oh yeah. Like, like trail cams, which I mean, we live in a very hunter packed area. I I don't hunt, but um, trail cams I see all the time and I'm like, whatever, I didn't think of them. And then there was that um, Kickstarter project last year that launched called Bird Buddy and it's like a little camera built into a bird feeder. They've never actually launched the project, but it's like all over the place and everyone sent it to me and it was like $200 and I was like, absolutely not. Even though I've spent like 10 times that on birding cure already. (laughs) And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to build my own. And so I was Googling like, how do people take really great up close photography of things that move very quickly? And I found like a YouTube, like everything else, something on YouTube where someone was like, yeah, here's how you like, you know, change the settings of a trail camera to work for this. So I did that. And then I realized, oh crap, like I can't aim it at anything because I don't have any feeders at that height. So Julia was like, why don't I build a platform? Because Say say there's a wood bir- a wood project involved and Julia's like I'm there I will do it I will build it <laughs> um, we have tons of scrap wood so Julia built a ton of little platforms and then we figured out like the ideal length for the distance they need to be away from the camera to focus and then she figured it out we made like a little Lido deck for the birds and I go out and fill it and we had a, a good is all run. this on your Instagram because I really yes. want a visual reference oh, yes. just so I can yes. replicate it at my place <laughs> oh yes pin stories in my pin stories there's a bird, a bird cam FAQ so you can see the whole setup and then there's just like highlight, highlighted stories and then there's the saga of when the bear discovered it and there's just lots of like in the middle of the night bear footage of like giant claws reaching up to it so I had to take them oh down my for oh my gosh most of the summer I was like oh we've had bears in our yard and I had no idea until I put the camera in and I was like oh 
I should probably be more mindful of this. I really hope my wife like doesn't listen to this episode. All she wants <laughs> is like to see a bear on our property. I'm like, do you want that? I mean, because I think she has like an ideal version of it. I like, I think bears are cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they're cool to see, but like too close. I don't want a bear problem. Yes. That was, right. I mean, I got a real talking to from the older like naturalists in our area who were like, what were you thinking? Yeah. That was such a rookie move. That bear is going to come back to your yard for a long time now. And it's true. I took the feeders yeah. down like in April and it still comes back almost every day. So oh, um, yeah. I think he's very hungry, um, but I'm trying not to <laughs> encourage that. So I take it in, but yeah, I mean, they're beautiful. Bears are so beautiful, but they, they do not care about us and all the stuff about like, oh, clang some pots together. No, we had one walk right in our front yard, right outside of our front porch as I was on the porch. And he just like moseyed on up and I panicked and I went like, hey, and was like slamming stuff together. It didn't even turn its head. It was just like, shut up. <laughs> I, know, I know where you used to put this. I'm going to go check that spot again. So yeah, I need to be smart about that, especially if you have like small animals. Yeah. So you mentioned the stuff with the bears, getting the wrong feeders. What are some other like rookie mistakes for people wanting to get into birding? What Or do you just have to make those mistakes and, and learn on your own? Well, no, please learn from mine. Um, okay. I would avoid putting feeders right up to your window, not only because of rodents. Um, avoid any feed with corn in it for that reason. Apparently corn and rats are just like best friends. Um, mm. So I had to get different types of feed to discourage rodents. Um but I didn't realize that like putting, this is so silly in hindsight, I should have known this, but putting clear bird feeders on windows, like we had a lot of birds run into windows and die. And so then I felt horrible. So I've mm. moved everything like very far away. Then I realized I was creating like a hawk buffet. So I started like hiding feeders inside of like bushes and brambles and stuff so that the birds could eat without like just being totally open and exposed all the time to like any hawk that just wanted to swoop in and destroy everything. Um, it still happens, but I at least feel like I'm not encouraging it in the same way. So I would say like, think about placement and then just be really patient. Like when I was posting about birding initially on Instagram, people were like, I bought a feeder. I put it out. It's been three days. There's nothing like, why don't I get anything? And it's just like, birds are super cautious. So you just have to kind of be patient. If it doesn't work after a couple of weeks, then you switch locations. But in general, just like look at where they go anyway and kind of put stuff there. And it's a good place to start. I think in general, you don't need any equipment like you can see birds without with your own eyes like you know binoculars right. are great but they're not necessary like you can still just sit in a chair outside and once you're still for a while they just go back to their business like I have friends who are like they'll land on their hands and they don't they're just super social and my birds seem to hate me but they do they do communicate <laughs> it just doesn't seem like a super friendly like Snow White moment. They're just like, give me my food and get out of the way. So every morning I'm just like, hello, hello. And I put everything out and then they like squawk at me and then I just get the heck out. And then they have like a free for all for a couple hours and then the hawks come through and then it gets really quiet and then they return towards the end of the day. But I just, I cannot recommend it more highly. I think it's simple. It doesn't have to be expensive. It's just a really nice way to figure out like what you have near you and appreciate like what's unique about the place where you live, even if it's like rock pigeons. Pigeons are cool. They have fun little head yeah. head movements too. <laughs> They're funny. <laughs> They're so like derpy. Yes, yeah. that is exactly yes. it. <laughs> Which they, I love. Especially um morning doves, which I always think of as pigeons, but they're not. Um, they have the most yeah. beautiful sound they make. And they're just such 
derps. Like every time I would like take the SD card out of the camera and like upload things to my computer, you know, be all these like beautiful birds, like flying and being very graceful. And then there'd be like one, just like an eye close up. And that was always the pigeon (laughs) or like the dove. (laughs) And they just feel like the not so bright, like Disney character of the set. And I'm just like, yeah, you guys are not the smartest, but very pretty. So you're touching on another thing here about like the regionality of birds and how different, like, uh, is there a country that's like known of being like, oh, oh this yeah, is bird the best tourism. country for oh, yeah. birds. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the best state for birds. Yeah. Costa Rica, Costa Rica. is like the end all be all for most people yeah. who are into birds because of the variety they have that just don't go anywhere else. Um, that for me is like, I think that would be cool. I'd love to go see like hummingbirds there or something. But I would like much rather go to Aust- like like I have the option to do this easily. I do not. But um, like Australia for me is kind of the cool place to go. Like. Just so many, like parrots that to me seem like exotic birds that I would never see anywhere in real life are just like landing on people's houses and kookaburras and things that have like just the coolest cries and sounds they make. So for me, Australia is kind of like my dream bucket list place to go and watch birds. And I have a friend who's in New Zealand who every now and then like sends me little videos on Instagram of like just the birds she casually sees around town um, that are just so to me like dramatic and cool. And yeah, so that's I would love to go to Australia and bird watch. Yeah, we have um, a patron, um, Lizzie in New Zealand, right? New Zealand, um, yeah. Who um, we have these monthly Zoom hangouts, and she was telling us about this some sort of annual bird of the year. Is that it? Um, yes. Um, and it just sounded so kooky, and everyone gets really into it. And I love they campaign learn- for the birds. Yeah, it's like a political. <laughs> yeah, it's like a big deal. And then I was trying to find out what the name of it was just now I just googled New Zealand bird contest and now I'm seeing a bat one this year oh I was gonna ask about bats but I didn't know if that was like a whole thing because I do want bats to nest in our yard just so that they eat the mosquitoes yeah um no in Austin Texas that bat Mm -hmm. you know every day there's like a big swarm of bats that um people gather on this bridge um Mm -hmm. on south congress just to watch this huge swarm of bats and it's so gorgeous bats are beautiful they get such a bad rap for like i mean especially with coronavirus just like all things related to like viral things but that's not their fault they have nothing to do with that um bats are they're incredible my friend rachel put up a bat box in her house and i think that's becoming like a cool thing to do, which I love. Is I like, bought one. Yeah. yeah, that's so great. They're so But, but I'm afraid so to put it on the house, but I don't know where else to put it because you can't put it in trees Mm-mm. or they're, they're saying like, it doesn't work out well in trees. And then there's like this big like pole for like the electrical. And I'm like, am I allowed to put it on there legally? Like probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but but so I mean, who's going to say anything? I've always heard. I mean, We have like, we've befriended our local critter guy because we've had, I mean, we moved here from Brooklyn, knew nothing about like the adjustment of like getting used to like critter life living in rural places was just like, we live in a 
farmhouse that was built in the 1850s. So like it will never be free of critters. Like there will always be rodents <laughs> on the house. There will always be snakes in the basement. It's just going to be what it's going to be. And I've learned to just get over that. Uh, but our critter guy was always like, oh, you have bats like somewhere in your eaves. Like he would see them. And I was like, oh, no. And he was like, no, no, they're they're on the outside. They're not on the inside. And he told us what to look for yeah. in terms of like signs inside. And I've never seen them inside up or any sign of them inside the house in the attic. Um, but I love watching them at dusk, especially in the summer, because they just they look like a like a Halloween cartoon like like the way they fly is so distinctive it's just like up and down flappy pattern and it's so different than birds and i love yeah. it i don't know it feels very like goofy goth and i i love it <laughs> yeah i love ugh. i'm really into birds it, it took like this last hour <laughs> i'm really join I us see derpy birds yes doofy birds <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. yes <laughs> also like go google kookaburras and just watch their like totally bonkers cry i just think australia has yeah. the coolest sounding birds of anywhere there's a whole song me. about the kookaburra mm -hmm. yeah they're just like oh, they're like yeah. funny little comedian it's so loud and so, i guess people like yeah. don't like them there so much because they're quite loud but i don't know i love it um but yeah every every area's got like something special to them and I find that like super cool. And I have friends in California who send me pictures of like, um, like different types of blue, like they get stellar blue jays or just called stellar jays, which are like a slightly different color than blue jays. And Florida has this thing called a scrub jay, which is like a, just a totally different version of a blue jay. And so there's people who like travel around to see this stuff. And I feel like I'm probably like a year off from being one of those people. But I think once I feel yeah. safer to travel, I will totally road trip to seabirds. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Top five birds. Oh, so easy. Um, okay. <laughs> well, the two that I love the most, I have a chickadee and a titmouse on my arm because they became like, they're like the brats of the bird world. <laughs> they're like mouthy little jerks and I love them and they're everywhere. Yes. And I felt like a friend of ours who's also queer was like, oh, they're like the lesbians of the bird world, the titmice, because they're just like <gasps> bossy and they get shit done. And they're just like, yes. all function. It's just like, get out of my way. I got to do this thing. I'm doing this thing. And it's just, they don't get involved <laughs> in anyone else's drama. So I love them. Um, I just discovered a bird this week called a brown creeper, which looks kind of like a nuthatch. And they like are vertical birds. Like they like kind of like scale the tree and creep up it. And they're like the same color as a tree. And I could not figure it out. It took me days. And then I felt so ah. elated um i love like a funky little teeny tiny baby bird um just because and not like the not like a hummingbird hummingbirds are cool but they're just like not my jam i like a weird little like yeah. hard working bird um so i love a nut hatch <laughs> i especially love like the red breasted ones because they're harder to find the phoebes will like always have a place in my heart because like watching them try so hard to raise little babies and then just have all of them die i just it like ingratiated them to me and they also when they you can always tell who they are because if they land on something their back tail just like wags all the time as like a form of balance so they're just like super easy to spot um so that's what one two three four is that five or is that four I'm trying to oh. think if there's anything also just any hawk any hawk yes yeah Especially, or Love also it. a peregrine falcon. I have like a very geeky peregrine falcon like hat. I don't wear hats, but I bought it because it was just so pretty. And I was like, they're so cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what's the, well, you already said you think that the, the titmouse and the, and the chickadees are just, lesbians. But what, yeah. what, what do you think is like the, the gayest bird? I don't, I mean, I'm trying to 
trying to think about, like, I always honestly think of birds as like very asexual because they just seem like they're too busy for that shit. Like they're just kind of like, I don't think about gender. I have shit to do. Um, Yeah. But I'm trying, I mean, to me, most birds feel very lesbian. There's just like a utilitarianness to them that I really identify with. I mean, the the tufted titmouse I'm looking at right now has such a lesbian haircut. Yes, exactly. (laughs) There's a faux Yes. It's a very I do, yeah, yeah. We we have a lot of them uh, on our property, and I really they were starting to become my my favorite to watch, uh, especially like the around the bird feeder and the way that mm-hmm. they acted and interacted with the other birds. I'm like, I like these. They're like tiny little. Soft <laughs> so, so they bushes. must be lesbians. Yeah, yeah, they must <laughs> yeah. be lesbians, and yeah. that's why I like them so much. I think yeah. they're very. And then I think of like any of the showier birds feel very, like I mean a peacock. Give me a break. There's just something about that where I'm just like, I get oh, it. We yeah. get it. Yes, I know. You're very flamboyant. Um, they're just so <laughs> fancy and over the top. But I like give me a utilitarian little tiny working bird any day, and that makes me happy. And there's something very like elder gay about all of the birds of prey because. For the most part, they're very like solitary and they'll, maybe they'll have like a mate, but they're pretty solitary. And I always see them alone. I'm just kind of like, they're cool. They've been there. They've seen shit like they do their own thing. And also crows, not very gay to me, but just also an amazing bird and so smart. And they can like replicate vocalizations of humans. They can sound like crying yes. babies. It's wild. So smart. They remember faces, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that? Yeah. I had a moment <laughs> I really tried to make that happen. <laughs> I like left little things out for them at the same time every day. And someone was like, yes, if you leave like, you know, large peanuts or large things out for them at the exact same time every day, they know schedules and they will show up and they will associate it with your face and they'll like you. And then I did not do it. But somebody said, if you print out a picture of your face and laminate <laughs> it and put it on the tree, they will connect the two things. And I watched like a crow and raven center thing online. I really have never sounded geekier in my life than I'm hearing myself now. (laughs) Um, And I'm already a huge geek, but there was like a lady online who was like, yeah, that actually does. It does work if you do that. But Julia was like, I'm sorry, that's a step too far. We're not laminating a photo of you to put on a tree. (laughs) Um, But it never worked. They just, anytime I would walk out, they would leave. But we have a huge, I guess they're called a murder, a huge murder of crows that like come into the yard twice a day. And they are gorgeous, like so beautiful. so cool. Birds are the coolest. Yeah. Are there misconceptions about birders? I feel like they're pretty accurate. I feel like we're all very yeah. geeky. And yeah, but I don't think anyone cares about that. Like there's not a, I've not met a birder who was like, I'm so embarrassed that I'm so geeky. Like everyone's like, yeah, whatever, get out of my way. I want to do this thing. And like super yeah. proud of it. And I, I love that. I love that about anything kind of like science and biology and nature related is for the most part, people, I'm sure they got made fun of for being into that as kids. And now they're just like, whatever, I'm discovering shit that's very cool. And I don't know that. And I mean, to like bring it full circle to collective wisdom, like as I get older, I just I am I'm caring a lot less about what people think of me and what is just like eye rollingly dorky or embarrassing or whatever. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care if I've got a vest with like 18 pockets on and a a very unattractive birding <laughs> hat and like, you know, really intense binoculars. I don't care. I'm having the best time. And I wish I had done more of that as a kid because I had all those urges as a kid to be that geeky, but I was just socialized to be, I don't know, care a lot more about the way I looked and what was cool. And I wish I had just stopped caring about that at a younger age, but I'm grateful that it's less of an issue now. 
we're grateful too um, <laughs> yes. for the book, for all this knowledge. Um, we're ready to get binoculars. Yes. <laughs> please, yeah. Because I I live upstate, please let me know about if the if you join a feminist birding chapter, either me, my wife, or both of us might get involved. Because I think I think I could benefit from more birds. It's really can't recommend it more highly. Just just go outside, put a chair in your lawn and sit for a while or go to your park or whatever is accessible for you. Sit in one place for like an hour and you'll be amazed at how many things you notice that you had no idea were happening every day right where you live. It's just yeah. it's so calming and also exciting to just like learn more about what's around you. I love it. Yes. Yes. And where can people follow you on social media? I, for now, I'm at Design Sponge on Instagram, but I am very close to just like closing it all down and living offline. I'm getting yeah. like t- teetering on that line and have been told many times that as a therapist, it's not super professional for me to have like a social media presence anymore. So I'm kind of oh, relishing right, right. those like last few moments of of being open, like more publicly online. So yeah. Well, at the very least, maybe make um, a bird account to pick up where Fembirds left off. They haven't posted in a long time. And I think there's a window there for you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I think queerness and birding are like incredible. I think queerness and all nature pursuits are like incredibly connected in a way that is both overt and also not like and I I love that about it. It's just a group of people who are really happy to be who they are and to like appreciate things outside of themselves. And I. I love that. Those are my my kind of people. Grace, thank you so much for sharing all this knowledge and geeking out about birds. It's very contagious. I love it. This <laughs> yeah. has been a delightful conversation. I'm really? so glad. Thank you so much for having me. And if either of you ever find yourself up here and want to go birding, please let me know. I have many, many spare <gasps> yes. plays of ours, many spare pairs of binoculars. Oh, yes, please. I'm taking you up on that. Yes. Thank you, please Grace. <laughs> Okay, just a quick update. The Instagram account that we mentioned in this interview, Fembirds, had been a little dormant, like I mentioned in the interview. And mid-interview, Grace went and followed them. I noticed the next day, this account posted for the first time since summer. And I was like, did... Grace trigger that? Were they like, oh, renowned birders watching? We should. And not only did they post, but they featured a black crow. Yes. Well, like we were talking about racism <laughs> in the birding community. And like, how did they know? Yes. And then they even posted, you know, like a week or two later. So definitely follow Fembirds and Grace. Love it. Love it. And speaking of crows, uh, one thing that kept playing in my head, but I didn't mention it in the interview, uh, There Is No Mountain, the group that does our theme song, uh, before they were There Is No Mountain, they were part of a band called The Ascetic Junkies, and they had a song called Why Do Crows? And I love it. it it's a song I love so much, but the um, opening line of it is, Why Do Crows Remind Us of Death? I've seen them out in the spring and it's like, yeah, crows get a a bad rap. Yeah, they really do. And yeah, that's what Fembirds wrote. They wrote, for fuck's sake, I hate being mischaracterized by the press. (laughs) It's like usually the captions from the perspective of the bird or yeah, you know, can't get enough. Well, it's time for our listener questions. So strap in for this. 
Okay. I was talking to one of my friends and we have never used strap-ons. She's talking to someone who wants to use one and we were confused on the culture around strap-ons. When you get a strap-on, is it typically only for one girl you're using it with? And do you get a new one for each girl? Or do people just have theirs and use it on everyone they're having sex with? I mean, different with. straps for different folks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or strokes, yeah, technically. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I I don't toss my strap-ons. Do you? I mean, I guess it's different. Yeah, it is different for everyone. You can have a sentimental attachment. Like, say you went to Babeland with your partner, right. picked one out. It was your strap-on. It could hurt to continue to use it. And, of course... You would get rid of not physically. Yes. Sorry. Can, okay. It looks like you have something better. No, to no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I think that they can be sentimental. Yes. I would never use the same one that I used with my wife with other people uh, as right from a poly perspective. Right. right. Yeah. As many of you know, I am uh, non-monogamous, possibly poly. Who knows? You know, uh, and mm-hmm. we have our things. And then if I haven't used one with uh, somebody new, but I would buy um, a new one or see if they like, I always think that you should pick them out with your partner and whoever is going to be receiving it um, should have a say in like the girth, um, the style, you know, because different people have different preferences. So I always think that it is best to um, pick one out with the person you're with in terms of using it again. I mean, I could see if you're somebody who is single and you're, you know, you want one just for hookups or whatever, you can have your like go to that's yours. You have to, you know, make sure you clean it, boil it, all that good stuff. Right. In between people or use a condom with it, be safe about it. You can have one that seems maybe like a universal pleaser that isn't too, uh, you know, (laughs) I wouldn't go with, like a huge realistic looking <laughs> one right. get something that's kind of neutral uh and then have that on hand if you really are that into um strap on sex you know some people like that that's their go to other people kind of work up to it and do it you know right right i don't when I was single and having random hookups, I wasn't I would never. That out. I would never. Not that there's yeah. anything wrong with it, but but it's just no. like not a huge item on the menu for me, you know? It's like very uh, occasional and it's fun to like try here and there and, you know, um yeah. but definitely I mean pleasure chest, babeland, like they can be very helpful just going back early to, to like bed. Yeah. Have it, yeah, early to bed, especially yeah. women owned. Um, you want to talk to a professional while picking it yeah. out. I just if you're looking for your first one, definitely don't get the starter pack. It's like on Amazon or it's like it's everywhere on the internet. I've seen it around yeah. in a lot of girls' bedrooms. I even got it once. It's not good. It's usually it's like a really faulty harness and it has like two purple ones like one bigger one smaller it's not the best i think i say skip that one 
go to a store if you can want it safe oh god um or just like you know work with someone who knows what they're doing and don't blindly pick that like starter kit i don't know from my experience it's and it's okay to use the same good. harness with different people yeah but also oh, yeah no it's hard down. enough to find a good yeah yeah but yeah find a <laughs> the the harness i would say is very important very important get a good harness i know it's intimidating and it's probably like I was intimidated and I was like, oh, I'm just going to get the underwear one. But that also takes some expertise. And I've never um, tried that one, you know, uh, because I've heard they're not, they're not that stable. stable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I was just too nervous to go to a store and like really figure out what harness would work for me. And I was like, I could easily pick out an underwear that's right, my size. Right. But no, you need to just like really zero in with someone who knows what yeah. they're doing get help but yeah that that starter kit one is yeah. not it i just want people to save their time and money because i see it around <laughs> so much <laughs> and I'm, I'm a hoarder i still haven't thrown those out either <laughs> yeah you know i think i like i might have accidentally kept one from my last marriage um because i didn't want to like throw it in the gar I felt weird about like just having a like a dong in the garbage but uh (laughs) and then Cecilia maybe found it while we were moving and she's like is this from I'm like oh yeah we're never using that like we we, I just didn't know the right way to dispose yeah of it but but like yeah I'm like I couldn't use the same want like from you know, another from one marriage to the next. I just think it's a little ghost. Yeah, I do say this as someone in their only long-term relationship right. with the woman. So, yeah. yeah, I bet it would make me feel But late. I have thought about, like, oh, do I get one for my, you know, outside dalliance? Excursions. Yes, excursions. <laughs> <laughs> How many euphemisms can oh. I use to describe that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> She's yeah. talking. <laughs> well, if you have a question, send it to us, uh, diking out at gmail.com. Put listener question in the subject. We love getting them and reading them. And if you're a patron, we'll put your question to the top of the list. Everybody, uh, you know, New Year's resolution, follow us on all the platforms. I would love. Yeah. yeah. At diking out, uh, at TGI Carolyn, at Melody Kamali. And thank you so much for sticking with us through this wild 2021. Wow. Uh, you know, we recap some of the, the highs and lows on our Patreon, but uh, we couldn't do this without you. Each and every one of you uh, listeners are so important. So thank you for everything. And feel free to keep me being an idiot here. <laughs> we'll see you next year. <laughs> So you've heard of Florida Man, but what about Florida Chupacabra? That's right, the urban legend is real and lurking in the Everglades in the new horror comedy show from Realm, Low Life. Low Life follows a Chupacabra exterminator in South Florida who becomes unlikely allies with a marine biology student when a standard house call goes horribly wrong. 
It looks like there's a new monster in their midst, but there's more than one secret hiding in the swamp. Lowlife is a funny, twisty mystery that also has some pretty scathing commentary on corporate elitism and eco-fascism. So you're in for a wild ride and some razor-toothed chupacabras. Listen and subscribe to Lowlife wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at realm.fm.